Yahoo! Hello! Hello, hello! Welcome to ADHD Doers. We are a group of ADHD Doers that love making resources and sharing our stories so we can learn from each other. Today, we are blessed to have Maria come and share her story with us. Hello, Maria. Hi, Evan. How are you doing? Good. So we've come from three different time hey, zones Addy. today. How are you doing? Figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> Figuring out Wi-Fi as we go, I think. <laughs> I know. So, Maria, why did you want to come and share your story today? Um, the very big why, um, I strongly believe that if you go through something really, really tough, it's almost cathartic and your duty, in my opinion, this is just my personal opinion, to be able to help other people through anything that's even similar um, or, you know, exactly the same circumstances, which as we know, a lot of ADHDers go through the system and there's a problem with authority as a resounding symptomology. So yeah, I, got, I wanted to kind of have a voice about that today and maybe just help somebody through it if they're going through that process themselves, if they've started going down a route that might be a little bit on the illegal side or something like this, just have a voice, you know? So you I just did a quick Google and yeah. um, the first result is around 21.5 3% of a certain prison study and another one says around 25% of prisoners meet diagnostic criteria for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So a quarter. Dude, I, I read one which was 40, 40% Addy. Yeah. Wow. So between 20 and 40% somewhere of people in prison most likely have ADHD or have ADHD-like symptoms from other traumas or things like that. Which is like mental. We are the rebels. That's pretty mental. high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always wonder what the deal is with authority. Yeah. Like I, so, when anyone tells me what to do, I'm just like, no, I don't like you. Why? You know? And I don't know why that is. Um, it's like there's a certain aspect of ADHD that's ODD. It's like obstruct, mm -hmm. obstruct. Addy, do you know what this is? It's like obstructive. Yeah, it's um, oppositional defiance disorder. So Bang. they actually here in Canada, they um, when you get diagnosed, they um, at the end of your diagnosis form, there's all like common comorbidities, and you check boxes for those. And I checked almost all of them for ODD as well. <laughs> Full house, you get bingo. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so, right, Maria. Yeah. But here's why, why I think it needs addressing as well, right? Yeah. I was wondering what your, your journey is with ADHD. Did you know, like, you had a different kind of brain or was it just like, or did you figure it out one day, kind of recently? I, <laughs> I absolutely have always been told I had a different brain um I've always had kind of like um nicknames like Duracell bunny jet setter always on the go um I can't remember one there was there was one that really bothered me but it's like um people used to say that I used to just 
talked like like super fast all the time and I just thought well you know that isn't that normal maybe you lot are on a fucking slower tempo (laughs) are we allowed to swear yeah I'd say yeah I swear way too much on this is it for sure (laughs) 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 all together oh yeah Uh, no (laughs) but um yeah I've always known for sure um that there's something slightly different but I I did believe um to a certain extent that you you know there was a curious curious aspect of me that was like why isn't everybody else the same why don't you think the way I think why don't you um operate at the same speed as what I do like what what is stopping you from being able to be like that but but 100% there's always been a difference but I didn't get diagnosed until late last year um so I'm one of those late late to the party guys Uh, (laughs) what about uh, you Addy two months ago yeah get the frig out of here are you serious yeah but I knew, which is why I've been doing ADHD tours. <laughs> and like, there's, you start, the start of your diagnosis process for most people is self-diagnosis, right? It's being like, oh, this makes sense. And I check all these boxes and then you're like, okay, I'll look at getting the official diagnosis. And then that takes forever, especially on socialized mm. healthcare, like in the NHS or in Canada because of the wait times. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the NHS, one of my housemates. So I live in a very ADHD friendly house. Mm. Um, it's so cool. There's 17 of us and I know <laughs> um, it's a converted college and there's a contortionist, a videographer, a dominatrix, a data analyst, a band we member. We need to interview everyone in your house. <laughs> it's so dope. It's such a cool household and it's a cute community. Why it's ADHD friendly? Number one, there are six of us in this house who have ADHD. So wow. there's got to be a common trend, right? Number mm-hmm. two, you don't, um, the payment that you make monthly includes all bills, all taxes, all fees, la la la, one lump sum, boom, off, off you're gone. You don't have to think about anything apart from one payment, which I think is so ADHD friendly because that's something that people do struggle with is mm-hmm. the, the, yeah, the well, amount of different. Yeah, this one's the 14th and this one's the first and da, 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's a creative space where we all support each other and it's called a guardianship and they're oh, all over I the UK. Yeah. Oh, I lived in cool. a boxing gym. Get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. So cool. Oh, I love that. It's, it's strange spaces, which are very quirky, very interesting, big spaces, which I think is beautiful for attracting creative or differently thinking people. Mm, so yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Like, and here's the thing. If you forget, um, oh, I don't know if I've got a mop. I don't know if I've got, um, I don't know, spray bleach for the toilet or la la la, all of this. You can go and ask in your community inside of your household. I need a this or I need a that. If maybe you haven't picked something up from the shop. Yeah. And it's kind of looking at the living is such a good uh neurodivergent like thing I think because we rely 
a lot on other people to kind of like fill in the gaps sometimes of of what we struggle with. Like my partner always jokes because he also has ADHD. He always jokes that together we're one person, um, which is sometimes a bit like, <laughs> but, but it's also kind of sweet. Like we, we help each other in like areas that we struggle with. But then we also say we need a third person in our relationship who's the organization person who like keeps us mm. to time schedules and like files our paperwork. Yeah, yeah. But here's here's the thing, like, this is what I kind of wanted to touch on in terms of, like, actual tangible assistance for people out there that maybe are struggling with organisation. Like, what could you do? What can you do? What what actually works? One thing that I think, Addy, probably you know, is even if it did work for a little bit, it's not going to work all the time, is it? Mm-hmm. That you get that little window, that sweet spot, and then you got to change it before it becomes boring, or before you're just yeah. like, ah, seen it too many times now. I don't care for this calendar scheduler anymore. Blah. You know, the only <laughs> one I've stuck with has been the bullet journal, and I think that's because it's customizable, and I'm doing it myself every week. And if I want to make it really like flashy and pretty, then I can do that. If I want to skip a week. I can do that as well. So that's what I love about like the bullet journal system. I've raved about it before on the podcast. Probably going to nice. do a whole episode on it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Addie's representation for her whole life. Exactly. Bullet, bullet journal. So, I love that. Maria, <coughs> I would love to hear what is your story? Your, you know, the big one, the prison story. How <laughs> did it go down? How did it, how did I go down? I think yeah. is the question. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, oh, I I was sort of questioning myself um, before I came on here today, in so much as how do I start this? Like, where do I begin? And mm. you know, I know I wanted to make sure that it is helpful for people that are listening. So, but one thing that I will say is, I have kind of always felt that my specific story has left me a little bit lonely mm-hmm. because there's not very many people that have got the same story as I do. Mm. So it's difficult to find people that will be able to empathize on that level that's like, oh shit, I've been through that actually. Um, there's going to be people out there that have been to prison for sure. Um, but, you know, my journey through life has been absolutely, <laughs> it's been difficult. It's been very difficult. Um I've had, you know, the loss of a parent at a very young age through suicide. Mm. And I had a drug addicted parent who, you know, let all sorts of types of people through the door. And Mm -hmm. you get to see kind of terrifying things as a young kid. And that sticks in your head, you know, if Mm. you if the person that's kind of like modeling, here's what life should look like is there you know, having a party inside the house and with copious amounts of different people, it kind of sets you up for what is okay and what's not okay Mm -hmm. um, to a certain degree. But for for me, I ended up in foster care Mm -hmm. um, at the age of 13. You know, I I dropped out of school. I I couldn't continue with it. I think a lot of people have got that kind of story to themselves where they might have dropped out early because mm-hmm. I can't stand school. It's a bit of nonsense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, shouldn't say that. <laughs> but um, you know, boring and definitely not setting you up for anything other than trigonometry, which, by the way, does anybody 
fucking use that? <laughs> but um, I, I absolutely was one of those people who I dropped out because I just was not getting on very well. And mm-hmm. that kind of propelled me into this life of looking at doing things in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not your, not your traditional route, like go to college, go to university, get a job, mm-hmm. get a partner, get a marriage, la la la. Um, I had to find a way outside of that. And it really was extraordinarily lonely because I didn't have the support you need. I didn't have the friends. I didn't have, you know, my my one existing parent was not doing what she needed to do in order to get me out of the problems that I seemed to be considerably putting myself into. Um, But I you know, I found a way where I was paying my rent through this little crappy selling windows job. It was Mm -hmm. terrible. And because that was so unfulfilling, sitting on the phone every day, you you know, selling something that is just a farce and you're talking to people over and over again about things that they don't want to talk about. You don't feel very like, like, there's nothing back and forth on a phone Mm -hmm. where you're just like, would you like some white goods? Okay, let's try some more white goods. Okay, so <laughs> I ended up um, falling into a different crowd, a different yeah. crowd that, you know, that was their choice. That was their mm-hmm. lifestyle. That was what they knew. And mm-hmm. I saw how easy it was. Mm. I saw, oh, my God, this guy is, he's selling X amount of product and he's making X amount per week this can actually pay my rent. This mm-hmm. can give me food. This can pay my electricity bill. Like my, I was on a frigging meter paying my electricity bill and it, it was steep. It was so expensive yeah. just to, you know, turn on your lights and cook a frigging omelet, you know? Yeah. So it was a lot of chasing my own tail for a mm-hmm. large portion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, Inevitably, it caught up with me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I I used to think that I was untouchable. So this little 18-year-old girl running around Bristol City Centre, thinking that no one's going to catch her, no one's going to, you know, get, <laughs> no one's going to think that that type of person is a drug dealer. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, I'm going to tell you a stupid story, super quick, but it's so... It freaking dumb um (laughs) so dumb um I remember I had a party um loads of people come over at that point I had begun to be a dancer I was working as a podium dancer started my own little dance troupe that was the goal that was where I wanted to be that's what I wanted to do I wanted to run Mm. a dance troupe but this this income was making sure that I could afford to do that um had the party with all the girls, all the dancers and some DJs and la la la. Was sat on the roof of my flat and I remember distinctly looking at my friend, looking at the road and going, oh dear, there's a lot of police cars around here lately, isn't there? (laughs) I did not put two and two together. Wow. (laughs) Even a little bit. (coughs) So dumb. Then they came knocking at my door a few months later. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, hello. We're just going around the neighborhood, checking in. There's been reports of some burglaries. I was stood at the door, like off my bazongas. 
I'd taken some acid. I was seeing every color under the rainbow looking at this officer. And I was like this. I was like, yeah, everything's fine, officer. <laughs> like looking dead at him and his car at the same time. <laughs> it was like this moment where you think, I absolutely should know that answering the door right now is a stupid idea, especially if there's a siren and blue lights outside. But did I did I piss? Of course I freaking did. So inevitably, you know, those things added up to build a case. And that's how I had the police at my door. Mm. <laughs> Damn it. Wow. Yeah, wow. I mean, you can understand with your backstory as well, like how you end up going down that path. And it's completely understandable, like, like you said, if you're doing this boring ass job and then you're like, oh, there's this other thing that can give me more money and less work and I get to interact with people in person who want what I'm giving them. <laughs> like, nice to their drug dealer. This is for true. And one of the things that a lot of people said um, when I eventually got put inside Mm-hmm. A lot of people said, um, who were in with me, oh, I bet you lose all your friends. Oh, I bet you find out who your friends are. And i tell you what, and, and here's something that I have to, have to give appreciation for. All of my friends wrote letters to me daily. Oh. All of them. All of yeah. them. I didn't go one day without a letter. Not one day. And everyone that, when they could, came in for a visit. It's only once every two weeks, and you only get three people. So, had to share mm. with you know, X, Y, Z, like all these different people. But I am eternally grateful for the support mm. network that I had. I really am. And it was one thing because I came from, I didn't have what what I felt at the time. I didn't have family. I didn't yeah. didn't have support, didn't have somebody looking out for me, telling me, stop doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're doing things that are going to hurt you. Didn't have that. Didn't have that voice. And the friends that I made family, whilst right? I... That's, that's exactly it, Addie. You know, if you don't have it, you make it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was so unbelievably grateful to have made the friends that I had made. And that's why when I came out of prison, one of the most heartbreaking things that I had to do was separate myself from them because I couldn't be part of that world anymore. And, you know, the friends that I've made, you know, some of them have deeply uh, lifelong effects from doing the drugs that we did. You know, Mm -hmm. some people have got seizures for life. Um, That You know, other friends of ours have passed away due to Mm drug-related problems. Um, in prison, dead, or or illnesses. And uh, it just... My cousin can't walk properly anymore. He's 19. 20 maybe now. Um, Because when he was 18, or two years ago, he took so many drugs that he passed out and was on his side for 16 hours. Laying on his his leg. So he cut off the nerve to his leg. And, um, And he's seen... He's out of that scene now as well, but he's seen people in his group die. He, that's happened to him, and his friends are still doing those things, and I think that for him is one of the hardest things. And probably, I can imagine for you as well, you're like, I went to prison. We've had friends who died or ended up doing that. 
and you see your friends still going down that path, right? Yeah. But everyone has to make their own choices in the end and have, they have to have that point where they decide to get out of it. I, I really want to ask, like, how you um, let go of your friends because I'm sure that's got to be so hard. If they were your support network before and inside, how did you, like, how did you, how could you, how, like, that's so hard. You have to build all your, like, connections again. <laughs> it's still really tough, and I don't want to cry, Ben, but that's, like, a super sore subject for sure. Mm. I miss them all the time. I still, you know, like, I live in London, I told you. Um, it's a really big city, and, and people don't really make connections here. Because everybody's go, go, go. Like, it's all very busy. So you kind of need to, like, you know, I'm living in a guardianship. I've, I've been really blessed. Like, I'm living in this space where I can kind of begin to make that family connection, that, that closeness, mm-hmm. and that community again. Nothing's the same. The, the friends that I had in Bristol, like, they are, you know, when people say, like, oh, they're my ride or die. They literally were. They literally were ride or die, like on an, on my life. Like the day that I had police at my door, oh, it was friggin' embarrassing. I was on my way to a photo shoot, so I had no makeup because I was doing a full body paint. And um, they were like, "Don't turn, don't do your hair, don't do your face." Blah blah blah. So I look like a gremlin, and I'm on my way to this um, photo shoot, and I've got <laughs> I've got the police on the phone, and they're like, swearing incoming. Um, get the fuck back to your property, Maria. Otherwise, we're going to break your fucking safe. And I, seriously, I was like, hmm, police people don't speak like that. Hang up. <laughs> oh Worst my mistake God. of my life. <laughs> Such a bad call. Should have just let them talk and swear. But they don't let us swear, so. That's crazy. I <laughs> was wow. swearing at you on the phone. <laughs> No, in it, Addy. Like I, that's why I thought immediately. I was like, "Nah, you're you, yeah, you're having me on." Yeah, because police officer, you're getting <coughs> taken down for that, right? Like instantly. Uh, well, I questioned it. Of course, I did. I questioned it, and I was like, hey, "Well, if you want me to take you seriously, maybe you stop swearing." And we're like, "We're trying to do our job here, Maria." Blah blah blah. Like you need to get back here. And uh, uh, um, I basically got off the phone. Full full story is, two weeks prior, my downstairs neighbour told us that there's a gang going around Bristol robbing known drug dealers' houses dressed as police. So you have to be mindful of that, right? So that's in the back of my head. I'm like, could be them. Could Really could be them, especially because the story was fresh. It's going around now. It's a, an active occurrence in, in, the, in the month sphere. So I was like, okay, could very well have been them. So I called my friend's won't say his name because I love him to pieces. I don't want to drop him in the shit. I called my friend and I said, you need to get here now. I, th- I think I've got gang in my house. And, and my little housemate who's 19, t- tiny little dude, like absolute angel of a petal, right? He's, he's in the house on his own. And he's got potential gang in there, like Christ. So I called him and I was like, you need to get in now. Maybe it's a gang or worse. We could have actually got the police round. So I'm walking back to my house. I've got 250 quid in my bra. 
because of course, like you need some spending money for the day at Primark. So for the, the for the photo shoot, I had to go out and get some stuff. Um, had this money, had a burner phone, um, and had some bits of kit is what you call it. So had a little bit of this and that on me. I took everything and I stashed it in this Tesco, like bark chipping floral bedding outside my house but in this area um stashed it in there stashed everything only had my like friend phone and then I came around the corner and I look up the hill to the left my friend is coming down like ready for a fight my friend is coming down the hill like charging down like this and as we're coming around the corner I then look and you can see on my street there are riot vans, police cars, siren, not siren, sorry, but the lights are going on. There was about five or six cars and or riot vans outside of my house. It was a big, big wow. ruckus, big bus, big, big bus. Just walk away, just walk away, because you just got to face the music at that point. Like, yeah. and the freaking hell, the feeling of relief. It's like nothing else. There was like a feeling of, what will be will be and mm. thank god it will be that because i could not see a way out i could not see a way of stopping as much as i wanted mm. to i didn't want to be in that world anymore i didn't want to be doing what i was doing i was i was i'd lost so much weight i was stick thin i wasn't mm. sleeping i was partying for three to sometimes no word of a lie one occasion seven days straight with maybe four hours sleep maybe four hours sleep wow okay they're like it was i was honestly i was seeing uh i was hallucinating a lot i was out of it you know i was having mm. a great time at least i thought i was but looking back at it now it's like you're not eating you're not sleeping you're like afternoon your your health which is probably what sent me off into even more triggers of impulsivity mm -hmm. mentalness <laughs> so, you were so young at the time as well. Yeah, I was uh, at that point um, when I got busted. Was um, nineteen. Wow. Was... So how how just so we can get some context, how long were you in prison for, and how long has it been since you've been out now? Oh, great question. So it was twenty twenty three months sentence, right? And it, it was my first offence. So just for context, guys, that's a really long sentence for somebody on their first offence. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. really is. Normally what happens is you go to magistrate court, which is an under-12-month sentence. It's the, it's the kids' court, right? It's the mm. little slap on the wrist. You get a little a little ticking off. Like, what, what are you playing at? Off on the streets. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, this is that kind of process normally. I went to magistrate's court. Um, and I went through that process, but then they saw fit to take me to big boys court, which is called the crown court, anything above a 12 month sentence. That's where you go. And you know, you're, you, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed inside time. If you go to crown, mm. you, you almost guaranteed it. Um, and, and yeah, it's been now 10 years since I got out. Wow. Al almost to the month. Wow. 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 
Wow. Oh, thanks, Ben. <laughs> and did you and, um, school 23 months? No. So here in the UK, you get, um, if you're a good gal or a good boy um, or a good they, then you can get <laughs> yeah. out. Um, you can get out a little bit earlier. Um, and I was, I was pretty bloody good. Like, I had my heart set on changing my life. Mm. And it was the thing that I didn't know I needed, which I needed, which is Mm -hmm. that big bloody button of a reset button. Like it's like the biggest free detox. I don't recommend it. Um, (laughs) We'll just say that right now. This is not me like going, hey guys, you can get a free stay at Her Majesty. But, (laughs) um, But it was exactly what I needed because I, I didn't have the self-control to be able to pull myself away for long Mm. enough to have that reset. (coughs) Back then I was really spiritual. Um, Now I'm a little bit more science um, and I love data and I love things that are evidence-based and factual. But back then I was like, oh my God, it's the universe giving me a sign. (laughs) And I still kind of like subscribe to that a little bit. Um, but But 100%, I felt like, this is the motherfucking universe giving me a goddamn slap to the chops because other people just need a slap on the wrist. I need a spank on the bottom. And I literally was just like, all right, take it. This is your point to be able to learn this lesson. This is your point to be able to shift. What's your story? Mm. What's your reason for being here? And I know, I I set myself a plan when I was 16. Um, My sister's got schizophrenia and bipolar. Mm. So um, she's on what we would call the acute side of mental health. She's um, in the psychiatric ward. And if she came out, it would be problematic, um, mm. you know, if, if left to her own devices, she would yeah. be problematic, okay? So it's not just like a journal it away and go see a therapist kind of mental health. It's a serious, serious one. Um, yeah. So she, she, when she was put into a psychiatric ward, um, I was 16 and I made a promise to myself that I would absolutely go in and work with people on their mental health. And having that reset, I was like, what the fucking hell do you think you're doing? You're going down this journey, selling drugs, mm. doing this and that, partying. You're not doing what your purpose was set out to do. You're not focusing on that. Like, And it was such a shift back into what I knew I was here to do and is to help people like my sister to find a way out of the system that is you know institutionalized mental illness is what's happened to my sister even to today she's still inside of the hospital you know that she's been going around psychically is cyclically so whatever's they're doing that is not working right Mm. so my goal here and my goal for my life is to find a way that we can find a way for people with acute mental health disorders to be able to be comfortable and have support enough to know how to live in society so it was Mm -hmm. very much a big reset a big moment a big shift wow so you've almost taken what you've learned and you've become your own hero you know being the person that you needed or would you say well, like, I you... don't like compliments, but yeah. <laughs> wow, I am. 
I am dying to know, like, <laughs> what it was like in prison. Like, you're making this, you said you were making this plan for your life. And you're doing it in the context of, like, you're inside this, like, these walls. Like, can you tell us a bit about what that was like? Uh, for sure. Like, the actual plan-making part of it um, happens. Uh, so, basically, you get, you get taken away in your handcuffs and they put you aside whilst they squirrel away in your house to try and find stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't find a lot, which I found hysterical. Because they did, they tore my house apart. They were taking up skirting boards and they were looking through everything. They they uh they didn't find like an ounce of MDMA, which was on top of my computer cupboard. It wasn't even hidden. It was just on top. <laughs> I was like, you guys could have got me for so much longer. Thank you. But um thank you. But it was it was the point where they're searching through all my stuff. I'm in this jail cell. You got nothing to do. You know, you can count bricks, you can do like chin-ups or fucking dips or whatever like you move your body but there's really honestly it's like you and your head mm. and that space is vacuous i gotta hear if about left that without <laughs> if left without stimulus you can find yourself mm. in a black hole um and it was you're only supposed to be in there for a maximum of 24 hours just to give you context at the time i was put in, in jail at that place um, you're meant to be in there for 24 hours. The police officer went to court to get a special kind of permission in order to have me in there for 72 hours. Um, no outside, nothing else to do apart from to eat, to pee, and no shower. No. There was, it was a long freaking time. And I'm... Um, I asked them before they took me away. I was like, can I take a pen and some paper? And can I take this this course that I'm doing? I was doing a counseling course at the time. I was like, mm. can I take this counseling course with me so I can study a little bit? And they were like, yeah, you can. Um, I was in there with my little pen and my paper and just thought, right, you've got your time now. You've got the thing that you needed. You've got the thing that you were really crying out for. Like, how do I get a way out? So I wrote down a list and I was like this list is for me to make happen as soon as I get out of prison and I know I'm going to prison at this point I know I know it in my heart and you know I could manifest I could try and wish my way out of the the inevitable but I knew they've got enough on me they absolutely have got enough evidence to put me away so I was like okay let's just plan as if you are plan as if you are So I wrote down a list and on that list was, um, I wanted to pursue my passion for performing. So Mm -hmm. I wrote down, go to Circa Media, which is a university for circus performance arts. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote down, make an an agency for circus performers, which I really wanted to do. Always wanted to do that. And I really wanted to have a dance troupe and I really wanted to have a circus school and la la la. Um, Sorry, not a circus school, but an agency. Um, And I also, wanted to work with people in their mental health. Well, what I did decide, I was like, all right, get your 20s out of the way because you are a rambunctious young lady, so you're going to know you need some fun. So I was like, put the performing in in your 20s and then go into mental health when you kind of got your shit together um, in your 30s. 
And I wrote down like bullet points for each part of my life in my 20s and in my 30s. And like, heaven help me, like so far so good, I've stuck to the plan. Everything on that list so far has been done. The only thing that I am yet to do, freaking struggling to do, is to go and study in a very academic level on psychology because bugger me sideways, how difficult is it to sit down and do that? (laughs) So difficult, I wasn't ready. (laughs) so that's really interesting it's amazing that you know when you knew you were going in you were like right I'm writing a plan for when I'm going out and that would have I imagine that must have given you something to look forward to and work towards that whole time you know so you weren't just going around in circles as much as you would have I I imagine would you say Absolutely. Something that I didn't know I was doing at the time of doing it is, you know, uh, there's so much science behind goal setting, so much um, uh, creation of optimism, which can give you hope and confidence, right, through giving yourself a plan. And I didn't know I was doing that at the time. I was just like, well, what are you going to do now, beach? Um, <laughs> work your shit out. Okay. So I wrote, wrote it down, not knowing that this absolutely fundamentally was what was going to give me a very laser-focused, tenacious ability to get the frick on with things, no matter what Mm. the heck was going on, you know? Even though I knew, like, okay, I'm going inside a prison. I know what's going to happen when I get out, so just prepare yourself until you get out. Keep plugging away. Like, what do you need to do to set yourself up to hit the ground running? And when you get out, okay, I was organizing shows whilst I was in prison by letter by phone I was organizing choreography like like choreographed shows I was putting together dances on stages events and everything like this through letter through phone I was like I know that when I get out I want to make sure that I'm I'm here arrived I've already built it so I can just mm, get it going so yeah it was it was crucial and it absolutely was what got me through it was it was tough like I'm not saying it was like all roses because of course it wasn't um but that really helped wow so I would love to quickly ask a couple of the questions from our um Instagram followers um and I think the main one that kind of resonated was a couple of people asked a similar question was what do you think um could have helped prevent you going to prison or if you had received the right support do you think it could have prevented it Wow. Um, that's like playing with an alternative reality, that is. Yeah. Crikey. <sighs> I guess it's thinking of, of, of other people who are maybe in a similar situation to what you were before you went away and like what do you think could potentially prevent them from going down that path? If I'm honest... <sighs> To prevent me from going down that path, it would have needed not, yeah, of course, support, but who are you around? Like, it's not just any support, Mm. is it? You know, because I had amazing support. I had best friends, you know? I had incredible people around me, some of which were asking me not to deal drugs. Some of them Mm -hmm. were. So to the question of if you had somebody telling you to stop, would that have helped? I don't, I really don't think so. Because mm-hmm. there's a there's a part of you that is 
kind of stubborn. Um, there's that part of you that, you know, unless I said that it's for me, then it's not for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it really does depend on the person. Can you take advice? Can, if somebody was to give you guidance, who would you actually listen to? Don't don't just think about, oh, I'll have support from anybody. What kind of persons would you listen to and seek those people out? I think if I'd have spoken to managers of agencies, if I'd have spoken to mentors within companies, I think I would have listened. But mm. if I'm listening to somebody, there's that, there's that expression, um, don't take advice from people that you wouldn't trade places from, right? Mm. And I think the people that were trying to make me, st- well, I don't just think, the people that were saying, hey, you should start doing this, that, the next, they were also there partying at the very same time as me, with me, doing the same things as me. So for me to go, ah, I can't take it seriously because it's, it's very hypocritical. You're telling me to stop yeah. doing something that you weren't, you wouldn't. So there was that kind of like obnoxious teenage attitude to it of like, like you're not stopping, so why the heck should I? I think I think if you're if you're experiencing yourself being drowned by your choices and being drowned by the lifestyle that you may have gotten into that you don't want to be into, you must seek help from people that are already ex- in the life that you want to create for yourself. They're mm. not there yet. You must do that. You must just be brave. Like with you guys. I was terrified messaging you. I was so scared, but I just did it. And I just did it and threw my phone away. Like, I'm not even joking. I threw it on my beanbag. <laughs> and I do stuff that scares the crap out of me because when it's scary, you can take this advice from me or not, you know, but this is my learned experience. When it's terrifying, when it's scary, it's often a good choice for you inevitably. If it's the hard thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard and it's difficult, you know. Um, that's that's really what I've got to say. I mean, could I, if I went back and had support, would anything be different? Very difficult question to ask. But again, yeah. you know, <clears throat> depending on your surroundings. I I just really want to like tack on to what you said there because there has been this trend in in this in the ADHDs we've interviewed that are kind of inspirational and want to share their message. There is this trend that they like to be in that place where it's scary, where it's like um, testing their, the edge of their abilities, you know? And it's, and it's fascinating that, that it's, it seems like such a thing that when it's most scary, it's like, or when it's most, when you've got the most emotional resistance to something, it's actually totally the best thing. So like, I just, how did you figure that out? Or, or do you, it was, is it just something random or like, you know, like. That's a really good question. Says the boy that went all the way to Hawaii to pursue his dreams. <laughs> must have been terrifying. Mm, lol. <laughs> lol, lol, lol. Takes one to no one. Lol. Game knows game. <laughs> it's bloody true. It's bloody true. That must have been absolutely petrifying to move country and pursue that goal. Jeez. Um, but you, you know it, I know it, we feel it. Like that, yeah. That, 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 uh, it's 
kind of historical, right? And I guess until you do it, you won't know, right? So so here's here's the challenge to the listeners, okay? You've got something that's terrifying, you've got something that's scary that you're putting off. The challenge to you is to just stop frigging thinking about it and just do it and do it quickly so that you don't have enough time to sit and <laughs> lament and think about it. You have to just do it and do it quickly. Make the first step and then you've got the ball rolling, the rest will come. Um, I think so, like, I, I think because of being thrown out, okay, being thrown out into the big wild world, I, I slept rough for a bit, you know, mm-hmm. I did some scary things, I did, some scary things all in all with the means to self-preserve, you know, like I did terrible things as well yeah. to, to look after myself, which I regrettably wish I didn't have to, but they were scary and it meant that I moved the needle forward in my life. And it really did mean that it was a, it was a difference between having food and not having food, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it really got to that point. I'm lucky now the things that scare me are not the difference between if I pay for food or not. I'm really mm-hmm. lucky with that. The things that scare me now are, do I push myself forward in my career? So yeah, I, I learned pretty hard lessons from places which were out of survival. And I think if you look at your development, your personal development as a hunger, and you you have to look at it as a, as a means of survival, like here, okay? You're surviving in this world. And if you look at your your stealth development as your survival, then that mm. gives you that sense of urgency to do the thing. Because we're not here for long. Really, honestly, I'm very aware of how quick life is. And I feel it all the time. I get this real deep sense of urgency to get things done now. Like now, <laughs> yesterday, if I could do it yesterday, I would have done it yesterday. But um, I feel that, which means that, yeah, I go out and I do scary things. But it's not all the time. I did it with you, and I do it, every, you know, when I get the bottle up, push it. <laughs> yeah. But that's the that's the challenge. Like, have you got anything that you're putting off that you know you could do that is terrifying? Take this as your moment to go, okay, well, if this little idiot from nowhere, backside back of Bristol could do it, little drug dealer nobody, then you can do it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Once you start doing more of those things, right? Yeah. Once you once you do that one thing that you were like, well, that was scary, but it it turned out well, and and then you have that in your memory bank. You're like, well, last time I did something that was a bit scary, and actually it went okay. And then you know, like yeah. whenever I get down, is so I think that's also a, a technique they teach in therapy for like dealing with depression and anxiety, right? It's like, oh, think about the times you've been through that are hard. And you're like, oh, I got through that before. Like, I bust from fucking Mexico to Panama on my ukulele. I had no money. And I'm like, what? if I can get through that, I can get through being sad today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You That's know. so dangerous sounding. How, how yeah, the heck exactly. did you do that? I just did it. <laughs> my I'm answer, a, too, no but ain't enough right? of an answer, is it? <laughs> I had no option. I remember talking to Addy once. And I think you were in Mexico or something. And I was like, okay, so how much money have you got? And you were like $5 or something. 
And I was like, so what are you doing now then? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go down to like Peru or something or like something way down south in <laughs> South America. And I was like, but you haven't got any money. And she's like, oh, you know, I'll figure it out or it's going to be fine. And she freaking did like go all the way down. I got to, yeah, yeah. Brazil. <laughs> Oh, You're alive. So, Are you still alive? This isn't the ghost of Annie, yeah. is it? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Oh my god. This, to be honest with you, that that kind of stuff does blow my mind a little bit. It really does. It literally is hard out, like upper echelon badass to me. The fact that you yeah, did but that. when you're I in it, it, I think as well. Like you know, you just it's those things. Where you're, like you've been to prison. To me, that's like. No, no. And I think we all have these things. (laughs) Yeah. Like once you're in it, you're like, well, I'm here. What am I going to do? When. This is the beautiful thing. Yeah. Sorry, Ben. I was going to say, like, to have that urgency that you were talking about to get things done, coming from the knowledge and understanding that time is limited, it seems so, like, funny that we think that, you know, I've had so many times in my life where I felt very unmotivated, you know, and I think a lot of ADHDers can relate to that. And so it's funny that the medicine for that is to understand and see it in context that, you know, like we're the youngest we've ever been right now and that our time would totally run out. And I think we definitely forget it, right? So it's like, I'm trying to say, like, I'm trying to understand, like, how, how can you learn that urgency? You know, like, how can we help people have that kind of understanding that, you know, we're like, I think we forget, but we're all definitely going to die one day, like 100%. Like, (laughs) yeah, we forget it, right? But you would never think that, like, remembering that is a kind of understanding that, you know, like, you're you're on this little blob, the earth, and we've got this limited time. It's like, like you either you go or you or you just chill or like you know it's up to you how you take it but I think to have that urgency is a is a gift and it's so nice that you have have that you know so I don't know if I have a question but it's it's not without it's it's got it's it's got its sunshine side and it's got its shadow side then okay so the sunshine side is you get shit done which is amazing and I really do feel like one of the things I had to do this thing for a course the other day which is ask 10 people what do they see my strengths as so I had to do this thing it's incredibly difficult if you've got rejection sensitivity dysphoria to put yourself on the the panel like that yeah um so I did this thing and and the responses were kind of like goal getting tenacious la 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 all these things Mm. we're not self-reflective enough like I don't look at myself like that I look at myself as ah this is not a depressing moment but it's gonna suck I don't all right then (laughs) well don't cry (laughs) (laughs) Ben passed out from tears Um, (laughs) but like I don't I see myself as not being a high achiever, I don't see myself as having achieved very much. I see myself as there's, there's points where I do feel quite low, and there's a point where I feel like I've achieved fuck all and I'm worthless. I do get that. I get that narrative. I'm worthless. I've not done enough. You're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 all these feelings. And I think with that 
sense of urgency, yes, it's got that sunshine side of getting stuff done, but it's also coming with the shadow side of not enoughness. And uh-huh. it's never enough. It's never enough. So I think, yeah, if you can find that balance, my Christ, I think you've got the sweet spot. And the, and the way in order to do that is find joy in the process, which I've only been able to do recently, is finding joy in the process. <laughs> what, what, Addy? I said, we've talked about this, haven't we? Oh, yeah. it's no, great. I want to hear, tell me everything, how to find joy yeah. in the process right now. Give me. <laughs> okay so oh here's something that's a tactile thing that you guys can do if you're feeling like your brains are racing and you're feeling like um you're not you're not doing enough or you could be doing so much more and your brain is racing and it's coming on a little bit strong that whole feeling of ah, right try this with me at the same time okay so i want you from your head to your toe, tense every muscle in your body. Now, I'm not gonna be tensing my jaw, but I want you to tense your jaw, tense your teeth, tense your neck, tense your thighs, tense your calf muscles, tense your toes, ligaments in your toes. Go five, four, three, two, and one, release. Let it go, let it flow from your head to your toes. Relax, let everything just relax for a moment. Let you just breathe. And what you're doing right now is you're grounding yourself into the present moment. You're unleashing all that tension. You're releasing it out away from you. So you're basically leaning in to that feeling of tense, that feeling of tension. And you're going, okay, I see you, I feel you. But now I release you. And in doing that, I do that when I need to just go, here, here I am, relax. Here I am and now is good enough got minutes and seconds in the day in order to achieve everything I need to and it will come to me exactly when it's meant to, not a minute before. Not a minute before. And there's that expression which is, you would be surprised at how much you can achieve in 10 years as opposed to just one. And I think everything that we do nowadays is so quick. You want everything, you want that success. You want that Instagram fame, you want that TikTok fame, you want that business to flourish within three seconds of launching. Everything's so quick nowadays because we see the successes. Oh, a six-year-old child is one that has made an NFT and sold it for 15 million pounds. You know, he did it within a month of making stuff on Web3. No. The reason why that's a big story is because it is exception to a rule. It's the exceptions mm-hmm. to the rule that make us create this fragmented reality of what we call norm, but it is in fact not normal. We must mm-hmm. give dignity to the process, which I think we're not doing nowadays. We're like, quick, 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 quick. When we need to mm. relax into it, allow the process to flow. And it's only because I've got that much uh, urgency uh, I've had to lean into that way of thinking. Yeah. Have to. Seriously, I love that. How do you guys feel, by the way? Sorry, I didn't even have your space there. How do you feel? That's good. I feel like I've been looking for something. Yeah. You know, when you're focused on something and you're doing like deep work and you're doing like, you know, maybe a chunk of time doing a, a task, there's always like the frustration in me builds. And I find myself getting more like little angry at little problems or something. And it builds and builds and builds. It's because I'm not like, when I take breaks, I'm not taking breaks. And I think that you have to give your mind something to do that's just mindful, that's connecting to your body, that grounds you. 
So sometimes I've recently discovered showers, like hot or cold. I've recently discovered them. But I mean like, no, showers for no reason. Discovered showers. Lol. I've been a stinky boy. Um, But I've discovered showers in like the middle of work time. And, you know, like I'm working, working, working. I'm frustrated. Having a shower is a similar thing that it's like a grounding bodily thing. You're completely in the moment. You're feeling sensations in the body, which is like the foundation of mindfulness. And um, I found it really useful because, you know, in the shower, you get all those lovely good thoughts because your brain has a break and it can crystallize the information it's been struggling to process. It can like catch up with itself. And I love this exercise of a tension from the top to the bottom because it's that same process. So I'm definitely going to nice. use that. And I felt so released. You know what I mean? Bring yourself back into your body. Rather than um, what we um, hmm, what we resist persists. So when we're trying to resist feelings of tension, anxiety, um, self-doubt, what we resist persists. So we might as well, if you're feeling tense, if you're feeling that... Uh, lean into it okay accept that feeling in your body and allow it to wash wash away basically just saying to your body i see you see you just give it that give it that respect like you're Mm -hmm. obviously feeling it for a reason okay i respect you you've got to feel your feelings and allow Mm. them to be released um i love that that i found yeah thanks um something i found really helpful um, for negative self-talk. Oh, this one's a doozy. Um, really, really helpful. So say, um, for example, you've got a sentence that you say to yourself, right? We've all got it. Like, you guys have got it. I've got it. You know, that that sentence that's said that's that trigger of not enoughness or self-doubt or you're not working hard enough or that. All those things that come from the capitalist state that we live in. Um, (laughs) Your value is on your productivity. (laughs) Don't believe in that, by the way. Um, Just for any of you guys that don't know, I'm being sarcastic. Um, But that sentence that you say, okay, hope that you remember to do this because it might really be able to help you. Um, Wherever the sound is coming from, that where that sentence is coming from, right, in your head, the next time that it comes up, I want you to just try this and see if it helps you. Say, for example, for me, it's you're not working enough, you're not achieving, right? Mm-hmm. That sentence for me, what I do is, is I play with where it's coming from because you've got this big skew inside of your head, of your mind map. And where things are stationed in your head is where you give evidence to it. So something that's important, that maybe, you know, you've got a deadline coming up or maybe something that's worrying you, it's going to be right here at the front of your head when you imagine it inside of your mind. So what you do is you take the sound, you take the, the sentence, and you move it literally to the back of your head. And you just slowly, gently turn down the volume. You give it less importance and you start to just push it away in your mind's map. And you start yeah. to, mm, even just flick it away and turn it down, make it sound silly. Because it's not mm-hmm. the context, it's, it's not, sorry, the content, it's the way that it's said. 
How is it presented in your head is what gives it power. Because what's said to me in my head might not have control over you in the same way it does for me. So you change the narrative by how it's said and you take the power away. And that can help if you have that sense of urgency, which gets too much, becomes shadow instead of sunshine. You can then get back in the seat again by doing that method and take that voice in your head and take away the power from it. Move it to the back and see if you've got anything else you can bring in. Something more empowering puts you back in control. Does that make sense? Totally. <laughs> I really think that it's the, um, it's like the tone that we speak to ourselves in, you know? Yeah. So you're saying yeah. that you can change that tone and it, you're saying it's the way you react to that like that voice is like if you if you fight it it will come back but you're saying if you accept it allow it just just pop it away or give it a funny tone so it's not as serious not as gruff not as like you are the worst you can make it say you are the worst <laughs> you know yes is that what you're saying okay cool it is exactly that, Ben. It's um, something that I learn in NLP. So I, I do NLP coaching, something that I learned in NLP. So the way that they taught us was to make it sound like Daffy Duck. Oh, yeah, love. Hey, <laughs> how? Uh, I can't do it. I'm shit in personations, though. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. Like, we are the creators of our internal universe, 100%. And there's certain degrees of which we have control. So for example, if I take the extreme end of the spectrum, you know, someone like my sister, she really, really doesn't have as much control as say, for example, we do. We are not clinically um, in a psychiatric ward. Well, current and present, we are not. So we do, <laughs> maybe close by to it, but like we're not. So so we, we are functioning people that can have some degree of control over what we choose to direct us. So th with that being said, without a strong diagnosis, if you do not have that, you do have some degree of control. And whatever we can use to our advantage, we should, for sure. So something that's making you feel like you're not enough, my God, that's not gonna make you feel productive, that's not gonna make you feel good, and that's certainly not gonna get you started on whatever it is that you want or need to do to have a fulfilling life. Mm. I love that. Mm. I love that thought that like, I think sometimes we can feel very taken by our thoughts, you know? Like so often, mm. you know, I think we all have those days where we're like, I'm useless, I'm really not productive, I can't do anything. And I think that we can get so taken by those thoughts that to have the knowledge that we do have the power to change how those thoughts make us act, it's so empowering. You know, that we're not defined by the radio in our mind, but we can like tune the radio and we can craft, you know, how that makes us act. I think that's so empowering. I'm so gl glad you, you know, I think that you've got all these insights and I think that, you know, you've, you've had all these ups and downs, but I think all those moments have taught you so much, you know, and you've grown more powerful because of that, I feel. Definitely been a hell of a ride so far. I will say that it's it's been real tough, eh? Like it's been real <sighs> tough. And you know, like people that are me, they wouldn't bloody know. 
God no. Like, I, I run around like I'm Queen Dick. <laughs> and, you know, to a certain degree, that's what I want to portray. I want to, I want people to not see me as a victim. I don't mm-hmm. want to feel like that little girl that was in foster care and left alone and didn't have anybody. I don't want to feel like that. Mm. So I've crafted this version that, you know, I, I always had this expression, which was buy the big boots and grow into them, right? Because <laughs> like I started at 16, I made an agency and I fucking lied to those women. I told them I was 18 to forget, like, I had to tell them I was 18 so I could go in to work with them at nightclubs. And I was this little 16 year old girl, like directing a bunch of 18 year old women in my eyes, <laughs> what they had to do and everything like that bought the boots and then at 20 I bought a limited company I didn't know what I was doing no idea I didn't know my ass from my elbow when it came to accounts I still struggle but like you you whack it out and I, I really want this to be like one of those moments where people go okay if she could have done it then I could do it because I did not know what I was doing mm. I, Mm, rarely know what I'm doing and I've, <laughs> I've I've now moved into working um so I'm coaching at the moment I changed my whole career I went from working in the circus all around the world I've had some great experiences like been mm. great stories awesome times um but I set myself that goal at 16 at the age of 30 you're going into mental health kicking and screaming you're doing it so like pandemic kind of coincided with that I was like wow well, okay the universe is giving me another sign <laughs> <laughs> here we go <coughs> so I moved into it and it's been tough I don't know you know I don't know any connections in this network um I don't know enough people I didn't know how to get myself off the ground but it's it's just trial and error just set up the business, give yourself a goddamn logo, set up a Facebook page. It will come from that. Like it literally will. If you make the space, oh, that old expression, if you build it, they will come. So use it, like use the fact that we've got social media, like make the things that you want to be first starting with the space that you want to move into. What is it? Is it online or not? Like you need to create that. Mm. Well, we should probably close up soon on here. But thank you so much for reaching out, for pushing through, you know, that (laughs) uncomfortable moment because we got to hear your story and learn so much from you. And I really thank you, Maria, for sharing with us. It's been a pleasure. I'd love to ask before before we go, like I'd love to ask like if um, (laughs) – If you have like a piece of advice that you'd love to leave with everyone today or something that's helped you in your personal life in terms of like managing ADHD or emotions or planning or anything like, is this something you'd like to, that has really helped you that you'd like to share with um, our community? Um, Okay, I've got something. I didn't prepare anything. I don't normally prepare lots. Look. I did all that. Amazing. <laughs> Whiteboard life. I'm so anal. And um, like, yeah, <laughs> I did all that. <laughs> What's that, Addy? It's just messy clothes on the floor. 
literally, that. I like I like mapping stuff out because I I, just, uh, I didn't prepare that for sure. But I think something that I feel is crucial, okay, um, and something that I'm I'm really honestly I'm still learning now. I really am, and it's it's not easy. Um, you know all those times that you made fuck ups. All those times that things have gone wrong, all those times that uh, you made mistakes and it's because of your ADHD and you maybe didn't know it yet. Learning how to rewrite the narrative that you had to tell yourself all those years that you're a mess, you made mistakes, you're a fuck up, like, oh, this is just how you are. Like, learning how to rewrite that narrative and giving yourself compassion is crucial if if I was going to give a message like finding the journey to self-love I know it sounds a bit uh, it's a bit cliche um everyone's talking about self-love but uh, I really agree though it's so true yeah and it's, it's probably one of the hardest lessons to learn is to find a way back to loving yourself for all the things that previously you condemned yourself for and you'd had shame over um, write a list, seek help, reach out to someone that you love and loves you and just get that, that feedback and that support. And if you don't have somebody to do that with, you know, Ben, you were talking about this earlier, darling, the, the journaling. Oh my goodness. You swear by it, right? Yeah. It's really, it's so helpful. But I think, um, yeah. I think, uh, I know, like, I really wanted to, to say this is that like, as, as, someone was like, you know, I, I struggled with discipline so much um, that I never thought the answer would be freaking self-love. But through yeah. self-love, I have learned that if you are nice to yourself, you want to do the things that are right for you. And if that sounds so crazy, but like, that's what self-love is. It's like doing actions that, you, that make you feel good. And then you're like, wow, previous me, you're so nice. And you're like, yeah, previous me, I'm gonna be so nice to future me. Watch this, you know. And it's been a shift. Right, <laughs> 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 love. Absolutely caned my throat just by saying that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. previous me, yes. <laughs> right. That's so right. And self discipline yeah. comes from that. So. That, that's such a beautiful message to share. I appreciate you so much, Maria, for coming and sharing this message with our community. I think um, it's been amazing seeing your journey, just a, a little insight into your journey and, and what you've learned along the way. It's been amazing. <laughs> so thanks I so much. You guys are awesome. I won't even lie, like listening to you guys' podcasts previously, I just love your energies. You're both <laughs> really, really fun. And I love <laughs> it. But it's fun, but also factual and heartfelt. You really are doing this for all the right reasons. You're doing mm. this for, like, both of you and your traveling lifestyle with your wee tiny guitars, you're adorable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. So nice. I really respect you both so much because you're really living the life that you're choosing. And I love that for you both. Really thanks, Maria. Appreciate really you very you, much. Maria. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you feel inspired to go and live your best life and love yourself to the moon. We love you so much. Have a freaking fantastic time. Don't forget that we are 
a group of ADHDers and like we've got loads of great resources on ADHDoers.com that will help you out and uh, use the code EXPLORERS for 10% off. La la la. La. There, done, I did it. I I did the hard thing. But I appreciate you guys. Cool. Well, have a great day, everyone. Lots of love. Be your best self. Lots of love. Love it.